Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Jay Nathan and Jeff Brunsbach, Managing Partners at Customer Imperative. In this episode, we talked about what they do at Customer Imperative, the biggest difference Jay and Jeff see between the way customer success teams operate, and how their quick time-to-value process helps their clients see tangible results in just 30 to 45 days. We also discussed the process they use to put together a customer health score and what to avoid, why companies push back on customer success, and who should own customer retention within an organization. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. You saw these, these you don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Jay. Hey, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Andrew. Good hey, to Andrew. be here. Thanks it's, for it's, having us. It's great to have you. Uh, for the listeners, Jay and Jeff are the managing partners of Customer Imperative, a purpose-driven company focused on customer-centric revenue growth for software as a service, software and technology businesses. They both have long-standing careers in customer success, holding director, VP and SVP roles at companies like Blackboard, People Matter, Snag, Levelwing and more. And between them, they've helped over 50 teams define, structure and implement best-in-class customer success practices that drive growth for these companies. Uh, and today's also a special episode because I don't think you've ever heard two guests on the show before, so we're experimenting with a new format and I'm excited to see how that goes. So my first question for you two is, what is it like working together? <laughs> well, I will, uh, I'll start. This is Jay. Thanks for having us on, Andrew. Um, you know, when I, I initially started the company um, as a, you know, an individual sole proprietor, I guess you would say, back in early 2017, and uh, I can tell you very confidently that starting a company by yourself is a very lonely place to be. Um, so, uh, you know, when Jeff joined the team, um, not, you know, not too long after I, I launched the company, it, um, it was great to have somebody who would go toe to toe with me every day on this. And it was genuinely interested in helping to uh, identify the, the kinds of problems that we were going to solve as a business and, um, you know, work hard every day to, to, to solve them. So, um, you know, for me, it's been, it's been fantastic to have a partner in crime and, and Jeff's, Jeff's certainly been a, a good partner, uh, as we've gotten to 
to know one another and, and work together over the past couple of years. I'll let him tell you the bad side, though. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely as well, like that sole proprietor is a lonely, lonely place to be. So having somebody <laughs> there to be by your side is, is a big, big help. Uh, what's it like, Jeff? Yeah, so I think from the opposite side, you know, um, I've always just envisioned, you know, starting a business or kind of operating a business at the highest level. And uh, I always like to joke that, it, you know, I didn't necessarily have uh, have the chutzpah to kind of go do it on myself by myself and, and launch a, a company solo. So certainly, you know, kudos to Jay for doing that. And um, I think it's been great though, because this is the, you know, from my side of things, it was great to walk into the door and, and Jay never really treated me um, as anything but a partner from day one. So, you know, I think we've always looked at this business um, as we are, you know, kind of going to do this together and we see ourselves being a part of this company for a long time and, and growing it. So uh, I think that's been a, a fun aspect, you know, and um, I actually got to know Jay probably nine to 12 months as he started the company. And so we actually, I bothered him for nine to 12 months or so, you know, getting coffee every single month, hearing uh, a little bit about his story each and every time. And, um, you know, throughout that time is when we really built a relationship to kind of give us a launching point in, in order to get to do this. And so um, to me, that was just a, a really good perspective that um, maybe, you know, people are out there thinking about this is how can you just get to know kind of a, a founder um, early on and try and build a relationship before you even walk in the door. Uh, that was really good for me to do. Yeah. I think like having that understanding and uh, of who this character is and this, this person you're going to be working with is critical, especially when you're going to be uh, working to the building a company because you go through some hard times, you go through some good times and making sure you understand the character of that person and how they're going to respond in both is always is, is critical, I think. Uh, so Jay, what was the inspiration then, I guess, what started you and drove you to get started with building customer imperative? Where did the idea come from? And maybe give us a little bit more context into what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, the idea, I guess, was born out of the, the, the you know, I, I, I had, I had sort of run my course after, you know, being with a company that sold to a larger company, um, you know, did a, almost a year with that company that had purchased us. And, you know, it was, it was time for that to, that, that phase to pass. And so um, I knew I had wanted to start a company. And at one point I thought, Hey, I want to start a, a software company, a, a, maybe even a CS platform company. And, you know, took a look around in the market and there were a lot of those out there. There still are a lot today. It actually Super saturated. Yeah. Yeah. It's very saturated. And, you know, it's also a little bit of a, it's, it's a disorganized market. Um, and it's partly because it's just, it's a very early stage market um, that's going through some maturation right now. So um, decided that consulting was the quickest way to sort of get to a reliable revenue stream. And I'm really glad that we went that direction because it's allowed us to learn a lot. We've worked with large and small companies. We've worked with companies that have large clients and we've worked with companies that have small clients. Um, and, you know, the, through that whole process, what we've validated is that customer success operating model, it, it works. It, it's consistent across all those types of companies, but the way it's implemented is slightly different. So we've gotten to see a lot um, and, and learn a lot about this market and what works and what doesn't. And that's just been really rewarding. 
um, the way we work with our clients is, is really, you know, we work on, on three different levels. One is what we call strategy and planning. Two is enablement. And three is operation, operational deployment. And so that's everything from, you know, customer journey mapping, playbook design, all the way to like, hey, how are we going to deploy this into Salesforce? How are we to um, configure Gainsight or configure the platform that we're going to use to manage the business? How are we going to how are we going to turn these processes into things that can be measured and monitored? So we really have tried to take a broad approach uh, in in terms of of helping teams operationalize customer success. What we're focused on now is data, and so. A couple of things, you know, one is smaller companies that are typically in the one to $10 million range. They're, they're forming, they're, they're growing, they're getting funded. They have a challenge in that they don't always have that they need to make decisions. So where our focus is with those smaller companies is we help them put the initial systems in place that get them some visibility into their customers, their health of their customers, their renewal base, their revenue uh, base. And then with larger companies in the you know, 10 to $50 million range, we're really helping them make sense of all the data that they have. They have a lot of systems in place already, um, but typically those systems aren't talking to each other. The data is disparate. Each department is using information that they have and data that they have from the tools that they use to make their own independent decisions. And we, we try to bring all that together. So that's, you know, but that's, that's a little bit of an overview of where we have been and where we're going. Very nice. And I think that's actually one of the things I wanted to touch a little bit on today is I think the idea of customer success has so many different meanings for so many different companies and uh, the way they go about implementing and thinking about it as well can change drastically. And uh, as you've helped over like 50 different companies now, uh, you must have seen like quite a big difference in the way teams operate depending on sort of their stage of growth or the market they're going after, their target audience. Uh, Jeff, like, what would you say is like some of the biggest differences that you see between the way customer success teams operate? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, two things come to mind initially. You know, to Jay's point, I think what we've certainly recognized is that for some of the early stage companies that might be, you know, one to $10 million in ARR right now, they're certainly at a, a kind of a different level of customer success than if you start getting into the 20, 30, 40, and even higher range of ARR. You know, the biggest difference there is when you're one to $10 million, you're uh, kind of less specialized. You don't necessarily have um, specific teams, maybe for onboarding, uh, that's different than customer success that might be different from professional services and support. Um, it all kind of is blended together, I think, from what we've seen in that early stage. And so um, as you start maturing, um, and as you start, you know, getting more success and gaining more ARR and, and uh, client market share, you essentially are starting to see a specialization of roles um, where you're going to have, you know, more specifically an onboarding team. Uh, you might have a customer success management team. Uh, maybe, you know, sales plays a role in, in accounts as they go forward. So I think just uh, kind of where that where that customer is in terms of their ARR and just maturity of uh, an organization, I think, is one of the, the first differences we see. And I think the, the second one that comes to mind is just who they're serving as their end users. Um, you know, enterprise customers um, who are used to buying enterprise grade software and having specific experiences. Uh, you know, you, you hear all the time kind of the quote unquote white glove service. Um, if enterprise organizations are used to that, there's a very different way that we need to go engage with those customers 
um, than if we are selling to um, you know, early stage companies or we're selling to SMB or mid-market. Um, it's just kind of different motions that happen. And I think there's different uh, skill sets that you bring into those conversations uh, that we've seen. So I think you know, differences between kind of where they are in terms of ARR and then just differences in where they're um, really serving the customers that they have in their customer base, I think is just the, the two big vectors that we always see as uh, main differentiators of, of how customer success is deployed. Yeah, and I think that's as well like the, the high touch versus low touch models when you do when you see the different types of customers, the, and the areas of specialization is something actually we discussed quite in depth with Brian LaFell from uh, Luca before. I think just after they were acquired by Google, just before, uh, like as the company, he was there one of the first customer success uh, reps, and he saw it scale um, to the point where they got acquired, and that was one of the biggest learnings I think he realized and similar to the way you mentioned now like sort of the stages of growth and the revenue and the ARR uh, had a good timing in terms of who they introduced into the team and which areas of specialization they started going into. Um, so I, I'm intrigued then as well like what is the typical process look like for you uh, when going into a company and uh, how, like uh, you, you talked about like a combination of strategy and execution and making sure that these playbooks are actually things that customers feel the impact of at the end of the day. Um, what would be like your uh, like a term, a contract, or the engagement that you work with a client, and then um, when would you start to see sort of some of the work and the strategy being implemented and executed upon? Yeah, I'll I'll jump in on that one, uh, Andrew. So our goal is to get just like our clients. Our goal is to get time to value to be as short as possible for our customers. So a lot of comp time to stop and think through big, you know, um, pie in the sky strategy. So it, it really over the past year, we've pivoted much more, um, much more predominantly toward quick start, you know, just foundational kinds of processes. So oftentimes we're working with the CS team directly to implement core playbooks that you need one way or the other, right? You, you need to know how to do success plans with your largest clients. You need to know how to run an EBR. You need a basic health framework so you can assess customer health. Um, you need to know when your renewals are coming and, and be able to manage that program. So a lot of time starting there. And then, you know, companies are seeing results out of making some relatively minor changes to their processes in, you know, 30 or 45 days. It doesn't take that long. Then there are some bigger problems that we, we go in to solve. Um, at times, you know, you need to get the, the sales to service or sales to customer success transition worked out. You may need to improve the way that uh, customer success and product are working together. Customer success services, support. There's all kinds of different interdepartmental challenges as well. And that's where some of the more strategic work around roles and responsibilities, customer journey design, and those sorts of things come into play for us um, and, and, and how we work with our, with our clients. But you know, ultimately, we're trying to get to some kind of tangible outcome in 30 days or less, meaning we have a process in place and our team is trained on it that we didn't have before. We're trying to do that as quickly as possible now because just just like your just like your customers, right? We, we we want our customers to have a quick time to value because it actually makes a huge difference in terms of um, of their perception of our work with them. And we we've, we've done it the other way, and it and it's not good. So 
Yeah. Um, and ultimately that's, that's probably your customer attention as well as a result. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, definitely what I'm hearing as well, and it's nothing new, and it's obviously the whole purpose of the show is to try and illustrate like how nuanced of a problem churn and retention is, and obviously customer success playing a big part in uh, retaining customers and making sure they're successful. And just what you're sort of highlighting now through this discussion is that there's just so many different nuances to customer success alone um, that is done in so many different ways. Uh, but you mentioned a couple of things that are maybe consistent across the board and you, you touched on things like a, a health score, for example, is something that doesn't matter really sort of the stage of the company or which uh, audience you're going after. It's important to understand how healthy your audience is because that's going to be an indication uh, and input in towards sort of the output being uh, churned at the end of the day. What would a process look like for you then, like trying to understand and putting together a health score for companies? Like what data points are you typically going to be looking at? And uh, maybe give us an example for a company that's like one to 10 million ARR that's still figuring things out, hasn't got all the data they need. And then maybe one way you're coming into a company that just has all the data in place. And uh, what would be, what would that look like for you too? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Like what is the process for, for how you go through this? Um, you know, a lot of times the, the information that you need to understand customer health is, is very, um, it's, it's very close, right? All you have to do is ask. Typically you talk to customers to get a feel for what, what their perception is of your product and your service delivery, uh, and your interactions and your relationships with them. And that'll tell you a ton, right? Um, we like to dig into, we start by understanding what the team thinks. So what, what, what are the most predominant reasons that you think that customers stay or leave? And you want to look at both success and failure. Um, so we get that from our team first. We also ask customers, and sometimes we do that on behalf of our clients so that we can get an objective perspective from them on on what it is that's working and what and what's not. Um, then one of the one of the biggest challenges we see is that there are some health scores out there, um, it, and I think it's easy to fall into this trap that are just so complex, right? There's so many different factors, um, you know, support cases, um, you know, the number of of outbound outreaches from a CSM, the number of conversations that I've had. Um, the health of the business. There's so many different factors that could uh, that could go into it that it's easy to overthink it and then create a a single score that's almost meaningless. Um, so we really go through a prioritization process of saying, okay, what are the top three, four, five things that if we get these right, mean the customer is going to be really healthy, and if we get them wrong, the customer is going to actually be at risk. So there's a prioritization process, and then how do we figure out how to measure that? Is it something that we have to track manually? Is it something that we can get out of our systems or out of our product data? Um, and then I think you know, after you sort of define those metrics and the data, then you have to make sure that data lives somewhere and you can validate what you thought was right. Um, again, back to this theme of data. The more you can you know, put data and information around and, and tooling around your the way you're looking at customer health and then go back and make sure that it's, it's uh, matching the reality of the customers that stay or the customers that leave, then that's, that's good, right? You, you, you always want to go back and validate these things. We, we don't think that the health score is ever really done being validated 
and created and refined. It's just, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. So Jeff, I don't know if you'd add anything else to that, but that's just some of the steps that we, we go through there. Yeah. I think as well, it's just like product market fit is something that's constantly evolving and the value that you're delivering to your customer is something it's like a moving target. You're always looking to try and hit. I think at the same time, obviously with that movement comes your customer's health score movement, but Jeff, yeah. Like if you want to add anything, I also like to hear maybe a little bit more of a practical example of like a specific use case of a company and uh, what sort of metrics were chosen and why. I think as well, like uh, talking like at a high level, it makes total sense, but then just putting a little bit more into practice uh, can help others think about how this would be in their business as well. Yeah. So I think um, one company that we've worked with recently um, who was actually standing up customer success, um, they were in the healthcare sector and, you know, they've actually gotten a a big influx. Um, They were kind of on the side of doing some healthcare video um, to help, you know, with the ease of the transition of, of getting patients to be seen by doctors. And so um, really trying to stand up, you know, what their customer success practice looked like. And um, for that, it was, you know, really trying to look at some of the basics um, for where they were right now. Uh, they're an early stage company. They're, you know, getting all of this demand. They've actually got kind of a free version. They've also got some paid versions. So um, they were looking at things of like what that conversion rate might look like. Um, if we did, you know, if we were engaging with a larger hospital system, we were looking at things like um, how many users have actually signed up for their profile and logged in and used it. Um, you know, you could see how many, essentially how many uh, patients are flowing through the system per provider um, in the tool. So we were looking at some uh, ratios for that as well. Um, so we were, for, for that company in particular, we were, um, very much focused because of where they are right now and just the sheer growth. We were less concerned maybe about some of the relationships they might have um, and some of the other factors in terms of maybe business health or presence of competitors than we normally would be. We were really focused on product because they were kind of catching lightning in a bottle and we needed to make sure um, that, you know, customers that were signing up were finding it easy to log in, were using the tool, they're actually kind of getting some of the value. So I think for for that specific example, um, for about a two week, three week period, we really zeroed in on building some playbooks around um, some of that initial product health data. Um, A couple other things that we always like to think about though, um, as some leading indicators that could be helpful for some of these companies is um, relationship breadth and relationship quality. So um, thinking about who do we have relationships with um, and can we actually qualify it uh, into a quality type score, even though it might be a qualitative metric. Um, we look at engagement in the product. Uh, if there's a community engagement in that community as well, you mentioned it earlier, but industry and uh, use case fit. Uh, we might look at business health or the presence of competitors that might be involved. Uh, and then also product and support performance um, as a couple of examples. But, um, you know, I think just like you mentioned earlier, there's so many nuances and we always try and, and look at the situation. And, and like I mentioned, I think uh, really interesting, you know, for us to look at that two to three week period with that company. Um, and we really had to zero in on, on kind of actually, you know, two to three specific metrics that were all very much product oriented. Yeah. And interesting how like a specific timing now as well. Uh, we're talking about sort of the, the COVID uh, pandemic, I guess, as well. And obviously influx of patients being a specific case where maybe health metrics need to change to suit the time as well. Uh, so it's not only sort of uh, being adaptable to 
the value that the product delivers and how it shifts over time, but also how the time itself impacts the value that the customers uh, receive at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, one thing, you, know, yeah. you want to jump on that, that Andrew, yeah. yeah, just to add to that, I mean, the industry that customer is in may actually be the primary health factor right now. Right. If you're in retail, then I can yeah. almost guarantee you that, or if your customer's in retail, then I can guarantee you that they're either red or yellow, <laughs> you yeah. just based on the fact that they're, they probably lost a lot of business. Um, but, you know, going back to some of these, another good example, um, and maybe this is a more detailed one that will help people think through this, but, you know, a lot of times there's just, there's a question around like, okay, how much support is, is it good that people are contacting support or bad? You know, that, that's going to vary by your product. Um, and you know, you may look at that and say, Hey, there's, if customers are contacting support a lot, that's a really, that's a really good thing. Cause we get lots of chances to interact with them and help them get it right. Engaged. Um, but one customer that we've done this for, we looked at just critical cases as their health factor, because we know that critical cases, meaning there's a real problem with the software, um, and probably a pretty bad problem with the software actually really negatively um, impact perception and, um, and loyalty, right? If, if I can't rely on your product, then I know it's not, you know, then I'm going to have trouble potentially renewing with you. So you can get a little more nuance and, and get some more, um, value out of these metrics by thinking about the real impact from a customer perspective. Yeah, I can definitely see that and understand as well. Like things are so nuanced. I mean, we talked about this previously, but uh, they change as well rapidly. And the one thing I was also interested now that you mentioned something that triggered a thought is you go into a lot of different companies and with the idea of helping to get uh, things set up and processes put in place and uh, starting to execute on playbooks and customer success. What is typically some of the bigger pushback that you get from uh, within an organization when it comes to introducing customer success or at least improving the in, like the existing infrastructure like where would you say you get the biggest resistance in an organization and uh, what are the main drivers for that yeah um, I think maybe a couple of, of uh, examples I think we typically get um, it depends again a lot on the where the company is and some of those things but um, I'd say, you know, there's a lot of times that we see customer success leaders still having to defend customer success um, and why it's there, you know, um, and I think where we've tried to help, <laughs> where we've tried to help um, those leaders is really start thinking through the, the data side and how to bring data into uh, those meetings. You know, I think um, as you start thinking about the, the maturity of a sales function or a marketing function, they've really gone through this evolution in, in both cases as being very fluffy um, and getting into kind of more data driven and bringing data to the table to help them, you know, understand how long does it take us to get a deal through the cycle? Uh, how long does it take for us to get somebody in our, in our funnel all the way down to, uh, you know, kind of a, an SQL? And so, you know, I think we're in that maturation of, of customer success where, um, we're trying to help leaders bring data into the equation to say, uh, you know, if we break down our segments and we look at some of the retention rates that we might have, the churn rates, um, how can we get more specific and granular um, about what's really impacting that? You know, I think a lot gets laid on the feet of customer success, like you mentioned earlier, that, you know, it could be a product market fit problem. It could be that we oversold them in the sales cycle. It could just be, you know, that that customer um, 
isn't having a great support experience. There's so many things that really factor into that retention number. Uh, but I think the biggest pushback is really defending customer success um, and making sure that we have a value-driven way of doing that. Um, I think the second thing that comes to mind is um, typically getting pushback from other parts of the organization. Um, and I think it's, it's more so just um, the change management aspect of, of how are we really going to kind of actually do this while, uh, while it's happening. Um, you know, I think a lot of other parts of the organization, um, you know, whether it's onboarding or sales, you know, they get in their motions and they kind of have uh, a cadence of the way that they like to do things. And so when you start introducing, hey, can we introduce a CSM earlier in the sales process? You know, can we uh, make sure that throughout the onboarding you know, phase that we actually have a CSM who's engaged in, in driving value? Um, it's kind of a scary thing for those teams to think about. And so I think, it, again, kind of the way that we've tried to approach that and kind of get over that with our, with our leaders is um, thinking about how we do that in a cohort model. So how do we start testing on a small number of clients that are with a small set of teams so we don't have to go overhaul the entire process right from day one um, and really prove it out. Again, looking at hopefully some metrics that come alongside of that. So mixing the quantitative with the qualitative um, and helping to kind of get the other leaders in the organization over the hump by using some of those cohort analysis um, and driving some of that value um, kind of on a on that type of, of scale first before we go roll it out across the customer base. Those are two that just come to mind um, for me. I'm not sure, Jay, if there's anything different that comes to mind for you. I think it's a really good question uh, because, you know, a lot of times we are, we do end up basically creating more of, basically more of the same of what we do today on, on just a higher touch basis. And so I think, you know, the biggest thing that we've had to work with both customers and prospects of ours on over the years is, is helping them understand the uh, the revenue lift implications of having customer success and being honest about if they exist or not. Um, it doesn't always have to be a customer success manager role. I think, you know, the one thing that we've, we continue to see over and over is that customer success is really more of just an operating model. And it's a, in its way of, of, you know, helping your team work together in ways that put the customer at the center of what you're doing uh, as opposed to just, you know, throwing more resources at it. It doesn't, you know, necessarily mean you need to have a role called customer success manager, although we do believe in that role as well in, in, in many situations. So I think, um, you know, part of it is, is you know, just a, is, is a general education thing around, uh, you know, what this whole concept of customer success even is, much less why we have to have additional people touching our clients uh, in addition to support and account management. Yeah, uh, I think as well, Jeff mentioned it earlier in terms of like the company is really not understanding, I think it comes down to sort of a way of proving the ROI as well of a team. And I think especially like in the early days when you maybe don't have the data as well to it and you don't have the level of sophistication in the customer success team, it's difficult to try and put numbers to these scenarios as well and say, okay, we have right. the team for this big until you get to the areas where you really start specializing. And I think that's where you get to the sophistication, you have the data, you know, like a customer success team, maybe that's responsible for expansion or that's responsible for engagement. And then you can really start tying these uh, like areas of focus and the lifts that they are responsible for back to like how that influences like retention at the end of the day or how it influences revenue growth ultimately. 
So it, it definitely yeah. feels like I get this perception that maybe earlier stage companies struggle to justify the ROI. So it's something that maybe gets introduced a little bit later. And maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But it might, it always felt like you said sales and marketing are polished. They've gone through this process. They figured out ways to justify what the ROI is and they're measuring and they're tracking it. We're still in customer success, like different stages of companies and different stages of growth. There's still this like uncharted territory that everybody's trying to figure out a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you think about it in the early days, the the cust the chief customer officer is actually the founder or the founders, and so yeah. we're early stage. Your your quote unquote CS team, whatever that looks like they're really beginning to be a proxy for your founders to listen to the market and to listen to your customers. And, and to now it, it, the other thing that comes along with that typically is there's a little bit of an operational lift too, right? We have to start providing support. We have to provide, uh, you know, implementation services. We have to make sure the customer has adopted. There, there's some things that we actually have to physically do with every single customer as well. But over time, to your point, Andrew, you know, as you sort of, you know, traverse from that one to 10 to 10 to 50 range of, of, of annual recurring revenue, then you're starting to, to build out specialization in these different areas, right? Account management, uh, adoption and onboarding, relationship management. And, and when you do that, you're necessarily going to have more people involved. And that's when it becomes really critical to figure out how they're going to work together. So yeah, I, I like the way you, you describe that. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's just the nature of like, as you're growing, you're maturing, you're learning things along the way. And uh, definitely like there is a pressure as companies grow naturally to start to prove the results uh, of our work. Um, the, the one thing as well then I was interested in, it's a little bit of maybe not really a controversial subject, but something that gets debated quite often. I'm interested to hear your perspective on this is the question of who owns customer attention within an organization. Uh, in your eyes and your belief, like who do you believe should own customer attention? I think the executive team owns customer retention. And by extension, um, you know, that, that goes into uh, the, the various teams that product has a role to play. Marketing has a role to play. Um, Onboarding has a role to play. If that's a separate team for your organization, customer success certainly has a role to play. Um, the, the, the way we drive retention is through renewals. And so I think the obvious next question, you know, to go along with that, Andrew, is who's responsible for renewals and why? Um, and then there's, you know, there, there's a great debate. You're, you're absolutely right. If, if, um, there are companies out there that believe that that the CSM should not touch renewals even, right? Because it's a commercial element. Um, I tend to disagree with that to some, to some degree because um, I think, you know, first of all, most renewals, especially for larger accounts, you know, hopefully they're on an auto renewal kind of program. And if things are going well, then the renewal is really just a formality anyway. But to the extent that, uh, the renewal is not a formality and it has to be renegotiated every year and it's a larger kind of account scenario, then I would absolutely have somebody with some commercial acumen uh, who can help facilitate that. And that might look more like an account manager, right? With that kind of sales background. 
um, as opposed to the smaller accounts where um, renewals are just going to happen a little bit more seamlessly. They're not a big event. Um, you know, the CSM can probably own that no problem and, and, and maybe should, uh, assuming that there's not a, a heavy lift or a negotiation there. So Jeff, I don't know what you'd add, but that, that's my, you know, that's my prevailing thought right now. Yeah, I think the, to maybe summarize in a way that, um, you know, we've talked about it recently, Andrew, is we've seen a lot more successful B2B SaaS companies who think about retention as a company-wide metric rather than a specific metric for the customer success team. Um, we think it's really powerful as you start to think about, you know, how does, as Jay mentioned, how does product play a role into retention? How does sales um, and really making that a company goal to say, hey, we want to retain this number of clients. And um, what we've seen start to happen is then, you know, sales starts to think about the product market fit a little bit more. Um, you know, it starts to think about the outcomes that they're trying to drive. The pro you know, product team is a lot more invested in thinking about going to get in front of customers more, to interview customers more, to hear about the jobs that need to be done. Um, and then, you know, customer success, support, and onboarding all still have their, you know, kind of client facing roles to play where they um, have some of these points across the customer journey that become really important. So um, I think that's just another way to say it, but I think we've just seen a lot more companies recently that are very successful um, who employ that type of um, compensation model across their teams and thinking about that as a company-wide metric. Yeah. So I don't think there's going to be any debate today then. It's definitely the way I see things well after speaking to over 60 people on the podcast. I think some of the most successful companies really have that this is a company on metric. If anybody, ultimately it would sit at the CEO, but at the exact level, uh, because it's influenced by so many different departments and it's unfair and unjust to sort of hold like a customer success department responsible for metric. That's influenced by pretty much every other team when it comes to sort of marketing, if they bring in the right leads, if sales closing the wrong people, if products delivering on the wrong features and functionality, and then ultimately like asking customer success to be the miracle uh, makers at the end of the day and keep customers is really, really unfair. So having that sit at the exec level uh, is really, really important to encourage alignment across the organization to make it like a common goal. Um, so the last question then I have uh, that I ask everybody that joins the show, I'm interested to hear your two perspective, obviously going into a lot of companies and I'm sure the, the concept and the discussion of retention comes up quite a bit in these discussions is let's imagine a scenario now where you've joined a new company and uh, churn and retention is not good at all. Uh, the CEO has asked you to try and turn things around for the company and they're looking to try and get results pretty fast. Uh, they want to sort of see some movement in the numbers within the first 90 days. What would be on your agenda and list of things to do to try and get some uh, turnaround for the company? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things come to mind first for for me. You know, one, I think uh, just off the bat, I'd, I'd look to set realistic expectations, you know, uh, understanding, I'd want to get an understanding of the contracts of, uh, you know, the value and uh, some of the renewal motion to really see if we could drive an impact after three months. I think that's the first place I'd start just to make sure we're all thinking about realistic goals there. But 
uh, let's say that I'll check out fine. You know, I think uh, a couple places that I would start to look would be um, really digging into the some of the data first. So do we have, um, you know, do we have kind of proper opportunities and renewals that we can manage um, as, you know, that are upcoming? Um, and then when we look at those renewals, do we have a sense of the health of those, the relationships that we have? Do we just have some kind of baseline metrics that we can start to glean relationship surveys, you know, surveys from support? But I'd really want to try and understand kind of the, what is the relationship that we're having with the customer and how do they feel about us? Um, that's kind of a, an initial place that I want to start um, as we look at that, you know, I guess kind of a, a sidestep from that in, in parallel, um, I'd be wanting to look at things like segmenting the customer base um, to a, a point that we feel like we could, um, you know, have a differentiation of, you know, potentially the motion that we have and, and making sure that we can, again, use some of the data to our advantage um, about how the customers feel about us in each of those different segments. Uh, that's really the, the kind of the first place that I would look to start um, before I even really took any immediate action um, from that, though, you know, I think a couple of things probably start to, to crop up as we start learning more about the customers. Um, you know, do we have some executive presence uh, with our customers, especially at the higher end of our ARR amount? You know, um, if that's, you know, a place where we have some of the churn that's coming um, that's where I'd want to start, you know, if it's coming from some of the lower segments, uh, some of the questions that I might be asking ourselves is, does it fit our ideal client profile? Have we really built the product to be, um, you know, kind of fit enough for, for that style of client? Um, and, you know, coming out of that too, I'd start to ask questions about what's the onboarding experience look like, uh, but really starting to break down some of the silos of the customer journey to understand, um, you know, essentially what's happening in this stage of the journey, what are we measuring to see if it's impactful and how does the customer feel about our relationship? Those are the kind of the three questions that I'd want to look at at each stage of the journey um, and start to kind of, you know, start at the beginning and then uh, move forward. Um, you know, again, the question or the reason why I said, let's set realistic expectations as well is, um, you know, we might start impacting some things in the onboarding phase, but maybe, you know, that doesn't really start to creep up until, uh, you know, six, nine, 10 months down the road. Um, but we, you know, feel like we're going to kind of solidify our, our base there um, for a longer period of time. So um, I think it's starting with the data, starting to understand the relationship that we have with the customer um, and breaking down each of the, the customer journey to um, get down to a point where we can actually drive some action. Jay, how would you differentiate? Yeah, well, I, I was going to say that expectations piece is, is critical um, because, I mean, look, if, if you've got customers that are on annual subscriptions with your business and you have a, an executive telling you, we want to, we want to change our churn number within 90 days, then I would push back pretty hard on that because first of all, you don't even know what the root cause of it is. And second of all, it, your, your, your renewals that are coming up in 90 days are you're, you're probably already laying in the bed you've made for yourself, right? If those customers are going to churn, they're, they're still going to churn in 90, some kind of heroics or offer some kind of, outlandish deal for them to stay. And that's not how we want to do customer retention. So I think I, I love everything that Jeff said, obviously, but what I would summarize that is I'm looking for leading indicators to help me show progress before it shows up in the renewal number. Right. Um, and to Jeff's point, it could be in be in the depth of our relationships. 
It could be in usage of the product, but I'm looking for something that's a leading that tells me that, hey, when, when my renewals start coming around next quarter, the following quarter, three quarters out, that I expect it to be better at those points than it is today because of what factors, right? That's what I'm going to focus on initially. So I would set real strong expectations. And you may have the, the other class of, of, of businesses like uh, if you have monthly recurring revenue, which is, you know, you might not have customers on a contract. Um, they may be doing trials or that sort of thing. And I think you can show an impact a little bit more quickly in those kind of scenarios. Uh, but you still need to look for the leading indicators. And that involves understanding what, uh, you know, what, what, churn you can control what what are the what are the core underlying root cause reasons for churn which ones can you control which ones can you not control and then working to control the ones that you can control and and having leading indicators to to let you know how you're doing nice yeah but i like as well that focus that it starts with setting the right expectations it's something that doesn't come up often in responses to this question i think brian Belfour was the last person to mention it as well as that uh, 90 days is uh, probably not going to be a realistic expectation to make changes. Uh, but again, like as you just highlighted now, Jay, it just depends on the type of company and uh, the payment cycles and uh, the product itself, if you can or cannot make a difference. But I, I loved everything that you highlighted there as well, because it's a lot of what we talk about frequently on the podcast uh, too. So uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with both of you today. Um, maybe is there anything you want to leave us, uh, any final thoughts, ways they can keep up uh, with what you're up to, anything you'd like to share before we cut off for today? Yeah, well, um, we, uh, we'd love to share uh, information about our leadership office hours. So we launched about seven weeks ago, something we call CS leadership office hours, which is a call that happens every Thursday, 1130 AM Eastern daylight time, uh, without fail. And we have about 150 to 200 CS leaders on these zoom calls every week. They've just been fantastic. Uh, so we also record those if you can't make that, not everybody can make those times, but uh, we record them and post them to our website. So if you go to customerimperative.com slash journal, uh, you can see all the historical sessions that we've done there. Just some really, really cool content there uh, for folks to hear practitioner level, you know, solutions to current problems that folks are having. And then the one other thing I'll put a plug in for, we're, we're in early adopter mode uh, of a of an online community that goes with that, that uh, office hours concept. Um, so we've got about 140 people that are actively participating in this community in the next few weeks. We'll be opening it, opening it up to everybody. Um, we have several thousand people that are on the waiting list to join that um, when we do. So we're really excited about it. Also great content there, really focused on practical, um, almost tool level things that people can be doing uh, within their businesses and getting help from one another as peers uh, to improve their their CS practice. So. Um, we're really excited about those two things. And then Jeff and I are, are very active on LinkedIn. We love for folks to, to follow us and, and join us in discussion there as well. Nice. So a lot of interesting uh, stuff there to catch up on. We'll probably leave as well a lot in the show notes to, to find on churn.fm as well on the website. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you both today and wish you best of luck now with the new launch and things going forward as well. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew. Thanks a lot. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. 
I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.